Oh man, guys, I've been sitting there just waiting to get up here. Uh, it's like, when are we going to get done with this stuff? But you know what? You know, Grant's parents are here. Guys, isn't this nice to come to a church service where we have so many different kinds of people? Are you glad that you go to a multi-diverse church? Who's glad about that? Amen, right? Um, and it makes us think about, wow, what is heaven going to be like, right? Man, guys, we need to be careful that if any religion, if your religion makes you think less of somebody because of where they were born or the color of their skin, it's not the religion of Jesus. Right? Newsflash, he wasn't white, <laughs> right? Uh, but more on that, the scripture reading this morning, uh, really we have God to thank for a multi-diverse, I don't know if you know this, but did you know that the Seventh-day Adventist church is, uh, at least in the United States, the statistic I read, is the most uh, diverse church in the United States of America. All right, isn't that pretty cool? Uh, we got people from everywhere, obviously, even our own congregation, right? And uh, that's one of the reasons I love coming to church here. Um, this morning, um, is this, oh, I'm going backwards, sorry. <laughs> I'm still getting used to this. I promise, I promise to you, this will be the only cat story I bring up in this sermon, okay? Uh, and I, I, gar I promise you I'm not a crazy cat lady, despite whatever Grant Riley might say to you about me. I am not a crazy cat lady, but I do love my animals. Um, I, people ask me, do you have any kids? I said, no, but I have two cats at home, right? And I bet there's a lot of similarities between my cats and your kids, but anyway. Uh, I, I uh, of course, you guys know I, I live on the campus of Camping Academy. Some of you guys have been to my house. If you haven't, usually around camp meeting time, I'll invite everybody over and we'll have a little potluck at, 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 in my backyard, Trish. You, you, you've been able to come to that. Um, and I've, I've raised these little uh, uh, bundles of joy here uh, since they were babies. And um, the black and white one, her name is Lofella, okay? And the gray one behind her is her sister, um, Kitty is her name. And uh, as they were growing up and little, I would take them on little walks, not on the leash. And you know, I'd get them used to the backyard so that they know, you know, what's their territory. And little by little, we'd go a little bit further and a little further and a little further until Andrew, basically, these cats were following me around outside like a couple of dogs, right? And people would just be amazed that they do this. And so we usually have a route that we take and we go um, after I get home from work and just as the sun is about to go down, it's time to go for a walk because I need them to come inside at night. And they'll follow me all the way back in the house and they sleep in the house at night. Next morning, let them out. This has been our routine for the last couple of years that I've owned them. And last summer, uh, I went out there for my little walk, and that gray one wasn't around. And I said, well, where could she be? And I go around, and I start going to our usual, uh, and you know, I, you might think, Donnie, I might be the crazy cat lady, but I was out there at camping and yelling for my cat, you know? And the Lord has just kind of impressed me, like, you don't see the Spanish teacher out here doing this with her cat, what are you doing, you know? But, you know, I'm out there, and I'm calling for her, calling for her, nothing, nothing. Uh, and so I just figured she just might have been distracted. I went back home and the sun was already down and I kept calling for her nothing. 10 o'clock rolls around. I'm like, well, this is strange, but she's, she's been late sometimes. And so I get ready and I go to bed and um, I 
couldn't sleep. I tried to go to sleep. I know this is the strangest thing. I couldn't go to sleep. And uh, I would go out there periodically. I know, Keiko, this is strange. And I might, you know, I didn't want to wake up my neighbor, so I'd yell out the window, uh, Kitty! <laughs> Kitty! You know? And um, nothing. You know, silence, silence. And I tried to go to bed. And uh, 1 o'clock in the morning, she still wasn't back. 2 o'clock in the morning, still wasn't back. 3 o'clock in the morning, wasn't back. I could not sleep the entire night. 4 o'clock rolls around. I'm laying in bed with my eyes wide open. And I decide at that moment that uh, as soon as the sun comes up, because I was just waiting. I was waiting for the sun to come up. At this point, Grant, I might have been the crazy cat lady now. Because about, uh, I decided, I said, you know what? When that sun comes up, I'm going to go look for my cat. And so I waited, counting down, counting down till the sun came up. Son Andrew finally came up, and I went out there. I, I looked crazy in my pajamas. Hair was all crazy, but I didn't care. I was going out there to find my cats. And I spent uh, probably about three to four hours. And you know Camping Academy has a lot of acreage. I walked the entire acreage, okay? Not just the camp, but the school. I'm talking about, where's Christine Savage? She went there. She knows what I'm talking about. The whole thing, I went looking for this cat, <laughs> calling her name, calling her name. And of course, my mind begins to think of all the worst things that could possibly happen to a cat, right? And um, I, I remember praying, oh, Lord, keep her safe. You know, there's coyotes out there. And I, you know, I'm praying all these things. And then I start, you know, you go through all these stages of grief, you know, and that was, that's what was, I was going through. It's, you know, first it was denial and then it was fear. Then it was anger, I'll, you know, whatever the steps might be. Uh, I'm sure, uh, Amy, you probably know what all those steps are, but I went through all of them, right? And I'm going through all of them. And finally, I just, I decided to go back home and uh, I'm going to grieve the loss of my cat, you know. And as I'm walking home, Michello, I hear the faintest, faintest little meow. And I thought, no, 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 I'm hearing things. I'm, I want to hear a cat meow. So I'm, I'm making this up. And, and I wait. And I hear it again, this little faint little meow. Kitty, kitty, I start yelling. <laughs> I know when I think back now, it sounds so funny. And it probably would have been really funny looking out your window, looking at me doing this. And, and, and then all of a sudden, I heard it a few more times. And I know I heard it now. But then it stops. And so I try to go where the sound is. And I just start walking. And I keep walking. And I hear her. And then all of a sudden, I see her. And she's screaming at the top of her lungs, locked inside of my neighbor's RV. <laughs> but you know what? She was safe the entire night. I didn't know that, right? But even this little animal that means so much to me, the whole time I could just picture God, Jessica, I got her. She's perfectly fine, right? God is so faithful to us, isn't he? Even in our little things. This week, I had a student uh, who had lost a pair of his shoes, very expensive shoes at camp, uh, basketball shoes, something. Um, and I felt so bad for the kid. And that night, I prayed for him. I said, God, you know, those shoes mean so much to Duane. Can you please help him find it? Next morning, he comes up to me. He says, Jessica, I found my shoes. I said, what? Where'd you find your shoes? We thought for sure they were lost underneath a bathroom stall of all places, you know? I said, well, that is strange. 
Dwayne, I said I prayed for your shoes last night, you know? God cares about the little things, doesn't he? And I'm sure all of you at some point in your life can think back, maybe even this week, that God did something extra special for you. Maybe nobody else would know, but you know. You've had a prayer that's been answered, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was God who heard you and answered your prayer. Even as small as that prayer might be, God is faithful to us, isn't he? You might not be faithful, but he's consistently faithful. And this morning, as we open up our Bible, my prayer is, is that we would find encouragement and inspiration to believe in the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness towards us, that many times when we are unsure and the future seems so unclear to us, you give us words of encouragement, signs that you are there with us. This morning, my prayer, Lord, as we open the Bible, as we sung that song, words of life, that you would impart life back into our souls this morning. Enough energy to make it through the entire week next week. That you would inspire us to believe that you can do anything because nothing is too hard for you. Is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of Genesis. And um, Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to read through a story here that's very familiar. Um, I, I'm sure all of us have read the story of Abraham. But I want us to turn to chapter 22 in Genesis. If you've got your Bible there. And I want you to look at the first verse here. Genesis chapter 22, and the Bible says that it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he says, here I am. And he says, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The Bible says, it came to pass after these things. After what things? A lot has happened in the life of Abraham. Up by the time we get to this point in chapter 22, I mean, you can think back. From chapter 12, he was called out of his country. Then there was the promise that was made to him. Then that weird situation with Abimelech, you know, uh, where he lied about his wife. And then we've got the, the promise again. And then that whole Hagar situation. And then the sending away. A lot has happened before these things. And the Bible is trying to make clear, after these things, Abraham was tested. Well, for remember, the biggest thing of Abraham's life was the fact that he was promised an heir. He was already old when the promise was made. And Abraham in chapter 15 says, God, how will I know? How will I know that you're going to do this, that you're going to give me an heir? And God says, I promise. He says, as a matter of fact, take four animals. Took four animals. Cut them up. But he didn't sacrifice. He didn't do the, the typical sacrificing type of thing, you know. He laid him out. And the Bible says that God caused a deep sleep to come over him, which is interesting. 
because the only time another deep sleep had happened was at the time of Adam and Eve, when God had put Adam to sleep, right? And then he created Eve. So he puts them into a deep sleep in Genesis chapter 15. And there God appears to Abraham as an oven and a torch. And he walks through the middle of those animals and basically tells Abraham, I promise, or else you can kill me. I promise. And you would think that after that promise, oh man, Sarah's going to get pregnant. She's going to have a kid. But that's not what happens. Years pass by. God says, I promise you. And then nothing happens. Years go on and years go on. And of course, we know the story of the whole Hagar situation. But then after a few years, God comes again and repeats the promise to Abraham. But this time, Sarah laughs because she's even older than she was the first time he had promised that. And so Sarah laughs. And I mean, I can kind of understand her. I'm sure that by this point, her uterus lining was like dusty as can be, you know? There was nothing coming out of that thing, right? And so she laughs. And then God says, I heard you laugh. No, I didn't, she says. But you did, God says. I'm serious. This is in the Bible. This is Genesis 8. But you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. And the story continues with the story of, Lot, uh, of Sodom and Gomorrah. But I, God promises again. And just to the, the, the pinpoint of time that God told her, she was pregnant. The most impossible thing was possible. Because of God. And she had this impossible baby, okay? And he grew up. I mean, God made it very plain and very clear to both of them that he could do anything. And the promise was given to Abraham and to, through his son was going to be a nation that came out of him, a country, a people. And God says, Abraham, look at the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. And it's going to come through your blood, through this son. And so they have Isaac. And he grows up. And then the Bible says he was tested after these things. Do you see what's going on here? After these things, if you can begin to imagine and be Abraham for a little bit, I mean, you've had years to see amazing things that God has done for you. And then God tests him. Now, tests generally do two things to us. They reveal something and they refine something, right? They reveal something about us, and it helps to remove something from us, too. That's what tests do. Now, nobody likes to be tested, right? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that no testing is uh, um, a joyful while you're going through it, right? But at the end of the day, it does produce uh, fruit uh, of, of, of holiness, right? And so this testing, now, why does God test us? It's not practical for us to discern everything, all of our faults and weaknesses within ourselves. So these situations come up, they arise to reveal things about us, right? I mean, there's a reason why sometimes God ends up putting you in a working environment uh, that drives you nuts, right? Sometimes God lets your kids act up to really show you how impatient you are, right? Sometimes he allows 
weird things to happen with your money to reveal how greedy you are or maybe your unbelief in his ability to provide for you right there are certain things these things reveal things about us and we all know you might say one thing but when life gets hard but what you really believe comes out when you get put to that test what you really think comes out what you really believe comes out right the real you i guess you can say and so abraham um Abraham has been used to tests with God. It wasn't the first test he ever came across. He left his country, right? God called him out of a country. He messed up with Abimelech, right? Um, he had to send Ishmael away. He had to trust God with the promise of a son. It wasn't the first time that, I, that Abraham was being tested of God. He had been acquainted with God, asking him to give up things he loved, right? He had been used to this. Now, this is interesting. Um, in the books, Patriarchs and Prophets, I think this is so interesting. One in the vigor of manhood may with courage meet difficulties and afflictions that would cause his heart to fail later in life when his feet are faltering toward the grave. But God had reserved his last, most trying test for Abraham until the burden of years was heavy upon him and he longed for rest from anxiety and toil. It was at the end of his life that it was the hardest test that came up on him. Now, the, she makes the point that when you're younger in life, younger in life, it's easier to handle tough things. Because you're young, you've got energy, you've got a lot of hope, maybe, <laughs> right? But when you're older, she says the hardest one came for him at the end. Why? Because he could take it. He had learned over time. The way that God tests us, you know, he'll never put more on you than what you can bear. And the thing about life, as tests continue to come to you, he continues to chisel at you and chisel and chisel. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. The Lord knows how to educate you up to such a point that you can endure in years to come what you could not endure today. Just as today, he may make you stand firm under a burden which 10 years ago would have crushed you into dust. Amen? Isn't that true? Praise if anything that comes upon you is because he knows you, you can handle this with my help. You can do it. And maybe what you're being tested now, a few years ago, you wouldn't have been able to do. But because of submission and trust, you can. And Abraham, Abraham could. Now the Bible continues. You're still in Genesis chapter 22. Go to verse 3. Look at this. The Bible says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Abraham under years and years of being tested failing and and learning from those mistakes and and learning to trust God this one this was a big one. 
And yet he rose, the Bible says, not slowly, but quickly. The very next morning, he gets up and goes. This time, he didn't try to negotiate with God. He didn't try to barter. You remember Eliezer? He says, God, make Eliezer the heir. No, God says, no, no, no. Hey, what about Ishmael? No, no, no. Not this time. No negotiating for Abraham this time. This time the Bible says he rose up the next morning and he goes. He had learned over time. Now this was a strange request because we know that the Bible says you don't sacrifice children. Okay, we don't do that. The Israelites are very different like the other religions in the world. We don't do that. This was a very strange request. And remember, too, that all of these promises were through Isaac. And it kind of seemed like God was saying, yeah, that's not going to happen. The promise of it coming through Isaac seemed at a risk. That it wasn't going to happen anymore. Like God had changed his mind. Listen, there are some times when God does do strange things. Who can, who can understand it? There are times when he does ask strange things of us, right? Things we don't understand. And I just can try to imagine Abraham at night knowing he had to do this thing, trying to, trying to figure, wait, wait, did I really hear that correctly? Did he really say that? I don't know, but I know that the next morning his actions tell you what he believed. Because he gets up that next morning and he goes. Guys, your faith leads to an action many times. And it's the way that we live that shows what you really believe. And you can tell by this man that he believed. God was telling him he didn't quite understand it. And it seemed as if the promise was going to be at risk by following through. But he had learned at this time he could trust him. He didn't know how it was going to work out, but he could trust him. Verse 5, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. As we, I actually forgot to read the verse four because verse four is pretty good too. This is interesting. Go with the verse four. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And notice the next few words here. And we will come back to you. We will come back to you. He believed somehow <laughs> both of them were going to come back. Not one of them, both of them. 
He didn't understand how, but he believed he has to come back because God made a promise. It was going to be through Isaac. He has to come back. Somehow, he has to come back. And so the Bible tells us, it gives us a glimpse into what Abraham was thinking. And he concluded from knowing God's nature that the person who makes the promise is as good as the promise, right? If I promise you a million dollars, you can't believe me because I don't have a million dollars, right? But if Bill Gates shows up and says, I'm going to give you a million dollars, I mean, that's believable because he's got it, right? Whoever the person is who makes the, the, the promise is as good as the person who's making it, right? But here, Abraham concluded this about God, that God is the one who made the promise so he can somehow resurrect this kid. I can kill him and God will bring him back to life. As a matter of fact, check out what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Because God had promised Abraham says he, he probably is going to resurrect him. Now, this is interesting because up until this point, Genesis 22, you know that there hadn't been a resurrection recorded in the Bible? There was no resurrection recorded in the Bible until this. How would he know that that was even a possibility? Because we're talking about this is decades before uh, uh, Elijah uh, helps out that, uh, that boy. Remember him? That was a resurrection, but that was still in the future, right? And we're talking decades way before, uh, years before it, when Jesus resurrected or Moses coming. I mean, we're talking way before that. He had no context for a possible resurrection. So how could he conclude that God could do it? I think because, well, I know, because Abraham remembered his past. In the book of Romans, it says that not being weak in faith, he, Abraham, did not consider his own body already, what does the Bible say? Dead. Since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. You see, this wasn't the first time, according to Abraham, that God had brought something else back to life. Their own bodies. So he had context to believe God can do this for Isaac. And so too with us, guys, when we forget how God, what God has done for us in the past, it's hard to imagine what the future is going to be like. The hope or the possibility that God can answer this in the strangest way. When we forget, I love this quote. You probably have read it a hundred times. Oh, no, that's not it. Uh, we'll bring it up later, I suppose. I forgot to put that in. But here's the point. Um, when we forget, right, how God has led us in the past, then we should fear, right, because we forget. I know January, people make a lot of resolutions. We tend to say that this is what's going to happen this next year. But I wonder if maybe this year what we need to do is start remembering more. 
right? Remembering how God has led us in the past, the little answers to prayers that he's been doing to help us. Because guys, this is just the beginning of 2023. We have no clue what's going on this year. So much can happen and change for people in this congregation this year who are going to have to remember what God has done. And praise the Lord because he has given us 66 different books of memories of what God has done. Memories of context that we can have to help us in the future. To remember so that we can have hope when something comes up. That if God did this back here, then God can do this now. In the future, right? We forget. We don't. Maybe we need to spend more time reading the Bible. I don't know what you got to do. But to remember, God can do anything. And you know what? I'm not ignorant to the fact that sometimes God does not answer our prayers the way that we want them to be, to be answered. We can pray, though, that God will give us impossible faith to trust him when it seems opposite of what I want. Because sometimes that's, that's exactly what happens, is that sometimes we have to trust God. I don't understand why he does the things he does. I don't understand why certain things are allowed. But I can tell you that I know enough about God to trust him as I see him in the past of my life. And so too with you. Look for him. Look for him in the past to help you in the future. We need to remember because we tend to have a memory problem when these things come up. But hasn't God always delivered us in our messes? Hasn't he always come through, right? Hasn't he helped us to overcome certain sinful habits or maybe um, overcome temptations? Hasn't he answered prayers for you in the past? Hasn't he helped you when you least had expected it? He's provided for us. He's protected us. I'm sure if we start passing the mic around, we could just tell each other stories of things that God has done in the past for us. And I see young people here, and let me, this isn't necessarily a young people statement, but this should be for those who are young in faith. And that does not matter how old you are, because you could be in church for hundreds of years, if you know what I mean, and still have young faith. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, I know for me, when I was growing up, there were times where I had trouble trusting in God. I got offered so many jobs when I first became a Christian, um, but all of the jobs always required me to work at least on one Sabbath. Every single job offer would come to me, and they were offering to pay me all sorts of money. And of course, you know, look where I'm now. I don't have any money. I work for the Lord, and I'm probably never going to be rich, you know, and that's okay because all my needs got taken care of. But time after time after time, oh, man, I'll never forget it. I used to work for this food bank, right? I mean, it was a distribution center. I was basically sometimes I, I did drive a bread truck and make deliveries, you know. It was a fun job, and I, it supported me through college. And when I got the job, I told the guy, I said, listen, I just became an Adventist. And I was like, look, I can't work on Sabbath, Saturday. That's the day I go to church on, so just don't schedule me on that day. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem, no problem. A couple months later, we had this big event, put up the schedule, and guess who was scheduled to work on the Sabbath? I was scheduled to work on the Sabbath, okay? And I was like uh, new in the faith. I had just gotten baptized maybe like two years before, something like that, right? And, and on there, it had a little asterisk mark 
underlined, highlighted, like everything that you could do to a word to communicate to the people working there, you have to do this, right? It said in big capitalized letters, mandatory. Oh no, the stress started coming up, you know, like mandatory. I need this job. Now keep in mind, my mom, uh, had passed away when I was 19. Okay, so I didn't I wasn't raised by my dad I didn't know where he was. I didn't know anything about him. It was primarily my mom She had passed away when I was 19 So it was just me and my sisters and we kind of had to take care of ourselves So you got to understand the context of what I'm telling you right now. This job was Everything or so it seemed It was everything my sustenance, going through college. And of course, you got to get through college if you want to make anything of yourself, right? So kids stay in school. And so I said to myself, what am I going to do? And this little voice in my head says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. But it was like God talking into my head. And I had to make a decision. Either I just, hey, it's just one Sabbath. What's the big deal? God understands. Have you, ever, have you ever said that to yourself? It's just one time, right? Or what about, you know, sometimes, you, listen, I'm, you know how when you're, I don't know, I used to use my tithe money for myself because then I was going to pay it back to God, right? That always ends bad. It's just a little bit of money, right? This is just one Sabbath. And the idea of compromise, I began to justify, Right? Because God would understand this situation, right? And um, a friend of mine said, oh, well, you should pray about it. And the more I prayed about it, the little voice in my head was so strong, I could not deny it. I can't do this. I can't compromise. So what are you going to do? Go in there and tell him. Well, he's going to fire you. Yeah, he's probably going to fire you. So then faith sprang up in my heart. Well, you know, even if he fires me, I, God can provide another job for me. I don't know how. I don't know where. I, I just, he's just, so I got ready to be fired. I started looking for other jobs because, I mean, this guy was like very stern on this point. And um, so I went into his office. I'll never forget it. It was a Friday morning. I walked in there. His name was Bill, and he had this big office, like the kind where you have to walk like quite a few steps before you come to his desk and shake his hand, you know, like, like that big. And so I walk in, and um, he says, yeah, what do you need to talk to me about? And I says, oh, Bill, you know, well, uh, 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 and I couldn't quite get my words because, you know, I'm like 20 years old, and this is the first time I've ever, like, and I didn't know how to say it, and I was really nervous, and blah, 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 blah. And he's basically like, just get to the point, kind of like the sermon, right? Like, just get to the point, right? And so I go in there, and I start telling him, oh, well, you know, I, I, I keep the Sabbath, and, and, you know, I can't work, and blah, 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 blah. And, I, and then he says, so you can't work on Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and, you know, I totally understand. And blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine, you know, we'll take you off. And he went back, and I'm just standing there, and he's carrying on with his life like nothing. I had created this huge mountain, and God leveled it in less than a second. So if you are young in your faith, I encourage you not to compromise. 
to have faith in God because God is more concerned about your financial stability and your happiness than you are. And so many people I know growing up being young will sacrifice their sexual integrity because they think that if they don't do this, they're going to be alone for the rest of their lives. They're never going to get married. They're never going to have kids. So I should just give in. No, no, no. God is more concerned about you and your happiness than you could ever be about your life. And we have to trust that. you got to believe that. God comes through. And no, maybe you won't get married. And you know what? He'll still be there with you throughout that whole thing, right? God has a way of doing that. Trust him. Trust that he cares and loves you. And I think about the story of Abraham, and that's exactly what he did. Verse 6, 7, and 8. Notice how many times the word burnt offering is used. Three times. It's like an emphasis to tell us, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. A burnt offering? Yes, a burnt offering. Verse 6. Abraham took the word of the, here it is, burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, right? Verse seven, Isaac says, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham says, God will provide a burnt offering, burnt offering, burnt offering. You know that there was a lot of offerings, okay, in the Bible. There's some, part of the animal was sacrificed, part of it, maybe the priest would eat it, right? Part, not a burnt offering. Burnt offering was total sacrifice. I don't think that's a coincidence that that's what God asked Abraham. He asked him for a total sacrifice, a total surrender, a burnt, off, a burnt offering, he says. Offer that to me, your son. God acknowledged the fact that this son was his only one, even though he had Ishmael. But God recognized that this was the one. And Abraham has a deep affection for his son, and naturally he should, right? This is a totally natural for your mama to care so much about you, right? Totally natural for you to care about your kids to death. Totally natural. And God understands this. At the beginning of verse 3, uh, he says, Take now your son, whom you love. God acknowledges the fact that Abraham has a deep affection for his son. But let me just tell you that it is easy to take a good gift from God and make it God. Isn't it? We can take a good gift that God gives us and turn that even our own children can be worshipped like God. They can become an idol to us. A spouse could become an idol to us. A best friend could become an idol to us. Good gifts are meant to be good gifts, but not God's. And so God, seeing that Abraham, you do know that he was called from an idol-worshiping culture. God called him out of that. So it's totally natural for Abraham to want to... Listen, humans are meant to worship something. We are meant to worship God. And if we don't worship God, we will find something else to worship. That's how we're made, where we're created. And God, seeing this inclination in Abraham, puts him in a position to rid him. Remember, this is a test. It's going to refine. It's going to reveal. 
to rid him of any inclination towards idolatry. And he puts him in a position to choose. And there was his boy laying on this altar. Remember, all these promises were through him. He was born. The impossible happened. He, came, he became a person, a real individual. He hadn't gotten married and he hadn't had kids yet. So the promise was partially almost there. And now God is saying, give it to me. Give it all to me. And he's laying on this altar. And if you can picture, I mean, use your imagination for a minute. If you don't have kids, something you love, that's good, and giving it up. And it's, he's laying there on that altar. And I mean, you got to think about this for a minute. It's his son, so he probably looks like him. And it's staring right back at his face. He's grown up with him. He's eaten dinner with him. They shared moments together. The promises right here in this one boy. God says, give it to me. And Abraham, the Bible says, lifts up his hand. He's got the knife there. Trusting in God, he's going to resurrect him. I just know it. He's going to resurrect him. And then the voice comes. Stop. Abraham, Abraham, twice. The voice comes. Verse 11. An angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he says, don't lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Wow. The angel looking. It really, it was God. Okay. It's capitalized in my Bible. So that means it's, it's not just an angel. Right. But he says, now I know. Wait a minute. Now I, now I know that you fear me. Is it that God didn't know? God knew exactly. He knew exactly the faith of Abraham. But he's actually really affirming it here. And isn't that what we all want? Don't we want God to affirm our faith that it's real, genuine, authentic faith? Right? All these things that you go through in life, this week, last week, this year, last year, the obstacles, the mountains, the trials, the tribulations, all of these things... So that when we get to heaven, God looks at us, looks at you. He says, I know you. I know you fear me. I've known you. And I know you love me. All of that. More than worth it. And here in eight, now, let's also, this is really interesting, Bill. But in the Hebrew, now I'm not a Hebrew person, but you could read about all this stuff when you do a little commentary research, right? The angel, this is so interesting, the, in the Hebrew, where in your Bible, where it's basically where the angel is commending Abraham because he has not withheld his son, isn't necessarily a commendation because he was willing to sacrifice his son for God or the capacity to sacrifice his son for God. It was the fact of his capacity to trust in God. That's what's being commended. The withholding of his son. Here's, here's what I mean. There are people, you can sacrifice whatever you want and not trust God. Do you understand? You can give something up, right, because out of obligation. Maybe you feel like you need to, a duty, but not really ever trust God. Just, just because you offer it up doesn't actually mean you trust God. In the religions back then, they would offer up their kids all the time, but it doesn't mean that they trusted in God. But here the angel is commending Abraham, not because 
He's going to sacrifice his son, but because he trusts God. And it shows in the sacrifice of his son. There's a huge difference there. We gotta keep going though. Verse 13. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram. Caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. Now your version, does anybody's version say behold? This is really interesting. Nobody? Anybody's Bible? Anybody reading their Bible? Yeah. Okay. Trish. It says behold. This is so cool. Again, I just reading this commentary. It actually... Uh, look, exclamation point. Behold or look, it, it's exclamation point. Or in our, I guess, English kind of way. It's implying he was surprised. He was surprised. Not because God answered his prayer, but how it was answered, right? The, the fulfilled reality of his expectation in a ram. God, and he got surprised. I got a little note here in my Bible. That our faith never quite measures up to God's response. Right? And so we get surprised. We get shocked. Not because God answered our prayer because we believe God was going to answer. I just didn't think he was going to answer it like this. Right? God has a hundred different ways of how he does things. And so here is a ram offered up, given instead of Isaac. Deep language here for uh, this fancy thing called substitutionary atonement. A substitute was provided. The ram was a gift from God because Abraham could not provide an alternative. And so instead, a ram was given, not just instead of Isaac, but for Isaac. This animal, we know that the blood of animals doesn't atone for any sin. But we know from the book of Hebrews that these animals were symbolic of another one that was going to come and be sacrificed for us. None other than Jesus. God gave up his son like Abraham did. God gave up Jesus. Jesus, oh, walked up a mountain, not Mount Moriah, but Calvary. And he offered up his son, but this time no angel intervened. Nobody said, stop, don't kill him. He had to let it happen. No ram was provided for Jesus. As innocent as he was, nothing was substituted for him. He was that ram. He is our substitute. Amen? Amen. Amen. Giving up his own existence. You do know everybody dies at least once. Once you might get hit by a car, God forbid, right? But that second time, after that millennium, and that fire comes down, this is that second death. This is that, you can't, at least in the first one, you have hope. <laughs> that you're going to get back up again when Jesus comes, right? There's always that hope, but not that second one. Because once that one happens, there's no hope. It's done. It's over. That's what Jesus died for. 
That's what he was dying for, was that second death for me and you. Ellen White says in Desire of Ages that at the time when he was up on that cross and he cried out, God, why have you forsaken me, that he could not see past the portals of the tomb. He didn't know. He was unsure. But so that me and you could possibly have a chance, he says, I'll do it. Even if I don't exist for all eternity. Wow. God putting himself into a puny little human being body, the creator of the universe, doing that for little old me, for little old you. That should bring value to your life. It brings value to our life. In this instant, as Abraham sees the ram, the neurons in his brain start snapping. And he begins to make connections. And Jesus preaches the gospel to Abraham in type and symbol. And he understood now the plan of salvation. That's why Jesus, when he came, he said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it, the Bible says, and he was glad. He saw it into the future, and he was glad that it was going to happen. He, there was a substitute for him and for Isaac. Guys, there is a lot of reasons for us to be joyful this morning. This story is not just for Abraham to be repeated, but for us to trust, to believe. But also, we need to remember this story in the context of a cosmic war right? There's a great controversy happening between Jesus and Satan and the world. You know, I was like 18 years old when I found out that there was life on other planets. Freaked me out, not going to lie, because I was like, there's no way, right? Now, listen, I'm not talking about necessarily UFOs coming down here and snatching our bodies up and leaving weird marks on us or whatever like that, right? We all know who those people are. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible tells us we've been quarantined because there is life on other planets that God has created. Take a look at Job. We don't have time to get into all that. But as I was reading this story in Patriarchs and Prophets, I came across this really interesting statement that as Abraham was walking with his son, and when the angels heard, because you know the angels are watching us, right? Our lives are on display not just for each other, but with angels that exist in other dimensions that we can't see, but they're here, right? Other worlds looking on our world. And as they saw Abraham with his son going up the mountain, they heard Isaac ask, where is the lamb? And when they saw Abraham lifting up that knife, oh, I got to show this to you guys. Oh, there's a quote. Forget that. Look at this. When to Isaac's question, where's the lamb? And when the father's hand was stayed as he was about to slay his son, then light was shed upon the mystery of redemption. And even the angels understood more clearly the wonderful provision that God had made for man's salvation. Wow. Even the angels understood more clearly this very this story that we just read about God's love for mankind. 
and immediately after this ram was provided, God, dash, God, verse 18, reconfirms our scripture reading for this morning. Take a look at verse 17. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Notice the next verse. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Did you notice how many people we had up here? How many people from different nations? Jesus makes that possible. Jesus makes it possible. When God promised to Abraham, look at the stars. Look at how many descendants you're going to have. He's not just telling him you're going to have a lot of kids. That's not what he's really trying to communicate with him. The book of Galatians tells us, gives us more insight. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed. It's the verse we just read. Who is Christ? Through Abraham, you have Isaac, you've got Jacob. Through Jacob came the 12 tribes. Judah came out of that. And out of Judah came who? Jesus came out of that. He is that one seed. The Bible continues in the book of Galatians. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And you are an heir to the greatest promise ever given to a human being. When God said, look at the stars, Abraham, he's saying, I'm not only going to give you kids, but your kids are going to have faith like yours. They're going to be faithful, Abraham. He showed him the stars, and what he showed him was the church. That's what he showed him. He showed him the church. Maybe he saw you. Huh? Maybe he saw you. I promise, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give that to you. And so me and you this morning, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's kid. And you are an heir. And we will inherit the earth. Amen. This morning, let this be an encouragement. There are some people in our congregation who are going through very difficult times in their lives right now. And sometimes that promise is hard to grasp. Because the present situation can seem so dark sometimes. And you don't always know what God is saying. But whenever in doubt, you can always look to the cross to reassure yourself, God loves you. He loves you to death. And if there's ever any doubt in your mind, God, why are you letting this happen? You can look back on the cross, and even though you might not know why, I'll tell you what, you can guarantee yourself that he is compassionate, 
and that whatever you are going through, whatever your family's going through, he is doing the most loving thing he can right now. Of all the possibilities that there could be for God to fix your problem, this one is the most kind. This one is the most loving that he could do. And when we get there, then you can ask him, why that way? But first get there, right? First get there. Trust. I love this statement in the book, Steps to Christ. Trust you and rest in God's love for you. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through Christ. Shall tribulation separate us from the love of God? Shall trials separate us from the love of God? Should a lack of money separate us from the love of God? Can a lack of children separate us from the love of God? How about a lack of a spouse? Should that ever separate us from the love? No, 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 no. In other words, in all these things, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. We can look to Jesus for our comfort, for our reassurance, for our trust in him that he loves us. This morning, I want to pray. And as we pray, we're going to bow our heads. And then after we pray, we are going to create a circle in this church. Um, there are going to be some um, admit, um, administrators, pe- not administrators, church people that will come up. We're going to form a circle. Let's pray right now. And as we pray, let's bow our heads. And let's pray. Um, let's pray that God increases our faith in him, right? To comfort us in whatever it is that we might be going through. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the words in the Bible that encourage us, that keep us inspired. Lord, there are people here this morning who might be tempted to compromise what they know to be right because they have trouble trusting in you, trusting certain areas in their lives. But Father, I pray that you would strengthen them against that. That you would strengthen them, Lord, to trust in you, in your ability to do beyond what we can think or ask. Strengthen them this morning. Show them that you can do anything. And Father, there's others here who might be going through a tough time, and they don't know what you're saying. And it seems silent. Father, I pray that this morning that you would reassure them that you love them, that you're with them, that you're carrying them. And Father, I pray that you would do more for them than they ever could imagine. Father, this morning we pray that you would help us to accept your gift of salvation if we have not done so, if maybe we need to recommit our lives to you. Father, make us faithful people, real, genuine Christians, Lord is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.